What's up, guys? It's Matt. On today's episode of the TKW Podcast, I talked to Kyle Maggio about the Knicks' backcourt rotation. We chat about their performance this year, evaluate each player's status moving into next year, and turn an eye toward the future as Scott Perry and Steve Mills attempt to build this roster back up. So let's do this. Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and today I'm here with Kyle Maggio, normal co-host of Anthony Corvo. But, Kyle, you're with me today, buddy. How's it feel? Uh, Feels good. Feels nice to change it up a little bit. So, here I am. Here you are. So, today what we want to talk about is the guard play of the New York Knicks this season. Because... We entered the year not really knowing what direction the backcourt would end up going because we knew that we had a young player in Frank and we knew that we had a couple veterans in Courtney Lee and Jarrett Jack and Ramon Sessions that didn't necessarily have any sort of high ceiling. And then we had a couple younger guys in Damian Donson and Ron Baker and Tim Hardaway Jr. that had varying levels of of ceiling. With Ron Baker, um, it's about as low as you can imagine. And with Tim Hardaway, it's a nice, fleetingly high story building in New York City. So what we want to talk about is how they perform this year, where the Knicks should go with these guys moving forward, and just give a reflection on each one. And just kind of pick them apart and see what we think about them and how the Knicks should uh, just handle them. Because the position's a lot different than it was at the beginning of the season, which has been one of the more interesting developments. And that's been in big part because of Trey Burke, but also because of the addition of Emmanuel Moutier. So, Kyle, general reactions to the guard position this year, what we've seen from the backcourt, and how you feel about it moving forward. I mean, I guess the best way I could summarize it for myself is, I I don't know, I'm sort of like pleasantly surprised and at the same time disappointed, you know, because with, I think I I talked about it on the pods leading up to this season. With Frank, no one really knew what to make of him. You know, physical tools were there, but we didn't have enough to go off of. And my thing was I just needed him not to suck. That was it. So... I think that's what you said verbatim. You said, give me a point guard, and he just can't be astronomically bad, and I'll be happy. And I think that's what you've got. And Yeah, and, and I said it on the last couple of pods now, too. I, I'm mostly encouraged by Frank. So, like, that was surprising, I guess, just off the expectations I had set, which was he might suck. So so that's mm-hmm. good. And then, you know, for, for Timmy, you said how it was fleeting for him. And I think that's a good depiction of his inconsistencies, but... I was also pleasantly surprised with Timmy because had you told me that if you didn't give me any percentages on his shooting numbers and you said, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. after signing that $71 million deal, he's going to average, you know, 17, four and I think three or four and four or five and four. And, you know, kind of showing a little bit of all around play. I would have been very happy with that. 
I would have said, well, that's that's good. You know, we needed him to show that he had matured since the last time. And those numbers would indicate that he had, you know. So for me, I was pleasantly surprised and disappointed by his shooting numbers. But so it's mostly for me, like the cogs that I needed to see be somewhat good have been somewhat good. And the disappointing part comes from, you know, maybe Frank not being as good as we may have hoped as soon and Timmy not shooting as well as we may have hoped. And, you know, Emmanuel Moutier not being almost literally anything different than he was in Denver. So it, it's kind of a mixed bag, to, to be honest with you. I'm either, I'm either like really on board with a couple of guys now or I'm just really off. I think that we've had an interesting dynamic because of the guard play from the veterans too, because as expected, it was, oh, you know, these guys are just here to play some minutes to fill in some gaps. And all of a sudden they started to do that. Fans are like, oh my God, why are they playing? They're so bad. So <laughs> we, we ran Ramon Sessions out of town pretty quickly. And Jarrett Jack, after starting some of the games, quickly fell out of favor as the Knicks began to lose. And it became a situation where the guard position was just thrown into a state of just uncertainty. So while we had seen plenty from Frank at certain moments, he still wasn't getting all the minutes that we had necessarily wanted. And then the month of March specifically has kind of flipped the script because we've seen Jarrett Jack fall out of the rotation. We've seen Courtney Lee play a lot less minutes. He hasn't been as active and Hornacek has clearly dialed his minutes back. We've seen that be a trend. And obviously, I think the most encouraging sign for many of us has been Trey Burke's emergence. And it was something that we hadn't expected going into the year because they signed him right before the season started. I think it was on the day before the season started to a non-guaranteed deal. And he ended up cooking up the G League and then has just exploded on the scene, his 42-point game against the Hornets. So... Let's go down each player because that's kind of where I want to go, and I think that's the best way that we can evaluate how they'll look moving forward. So let's start right there with Trey Burke. How have you felt about his performance, and do you think that he can be a guy they can look towards next year to potentially start and be a piece for the future? Pleasantly surprised, but also no. And I, I don't mean it to sound discouraging. I think, you know, he, he kind of played his way out of the league last year from just not really being effective in any capacity and or really just inconsistent. And what I've seen from him more than anything else is consistency from when he's gotten to the league. So I think that he's, you know, maybe a, maybe a part of this team going forward in the sense that I think he could be a significant bench contributor, but I don't know that I'm sold on him starting yet. And I don't, I don't want to downplay how well he's played because he has played really, really well and absolutely exceeded my expectations since he came up like, you know, 100 percent. I remember right before he came up, I was I was really low with my expectations because I was like, look, guys don't come up from the D, uh, the G League that often and make a significant impact. So let's just, you know, let's be cautious about this. And he kind of shattered that almost immediately. So I don't know. I mean, I. I I do enjoy that. I, I really enjoy watching him play. I, I love what he's been able to do these last couple of months, but I don't want to sit here and be like, well, after two and a half, three months, I'm sold on him being a starter either. So I'd rather, you know, for me, I feel comfortable saying, you know what, if this is the version of 
Trey Burke that we have, if this is who he's going to be, I think that's absolutely a guy who can, you know, start some games here and there, but ultimately he's a really good bench contributor. That's how I feel. What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I kind of wanted to get someone on that was going to disagree with me on this because I wanted a debate, but unfortunately we're in the same boat here. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I think we all do. Whenever there's a story like this, you hope that this guy, you know, he bounces around a few teams. He's out of the league. He has to earn his way back in the G League. And, yeah, it'd be it'd be sick if he came back up, you know, played like this, and then next year continued, you know, to average like 20 points, seven, eight assists. Like, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, that yeah, sounds that, nice. You know, that'd be great. But <laughs> at the end of the season for a bad team, I'm cautious of, put, you know, how much stock I'm going to put into it. The optics look great. The optics look great. I'm just, I don't know how I feel about this, you know, if we gave him the reins for the duration of the season. I, I, I'm very hesitant to commit to that, you know, to being sold on that. Yeah. My concerns come from a small sample size in which he's performed at just a ridiculous efficiency level that is unsustainable over the course of a full season. So that's where I really start to get nervous about him. Sounds like a year. certain Denver center. Ah, Nikola Jokic. Ah, yes. Your, <laughs> your wow. best friend and biggest yeah, ally. It's, it sounds almost precisely like that, but continue. <laughs> so, Trey Burke is in the 98th percentile in mid-range jumper frequency, and he's in the 98th percentile in efficiency. That simply can't continue over the course of an 82-game season. And even next year, let's say he plays... You know, 60 games. These are the kind of things that normalize. He can be a good mid-range jump shooter. He can't take this many mid-range jumpers and be this good of a mid-range jump shooter. It's impossible. There are certain things that we know in the NBA. We have so much evidence, so many years, and so many different players to pick from that we always need to look and be realistic and say, if no one's done this before, is Trey Burke the guy that's going to be the first to do it? And I'm going to say probably no. And I feel pretty strongly in that. So we know that he's a better passer, I think, than we gave him credit for at first because we've seen his assist-to-turnover ratios are super high. He's done a great job of involving his teammates, getting open shots for guys. But it's his scoring that worries me. And that's why I agree with you. I think that ideally he's a guy that they can bring off the bench as a six man and he could even close games I have no problem with that next year but the crux of this whole argument for me is always going to go back to the fact that next year does not matter the Knicks should play whoever they want to play however many minutes they want to play them that they think they can get the best look at them to determine for next year whether there's someone they want to keep on the roster because next year they're going to be bad and they're going to lose a lot of games Give these guys as much minutes as they can handle. If Trey Burke plays next year and he all of a sudden is terrible and his mid-range jump shooting completely falls off the map, he loses his passing vision, everything goes terribly, that's okay. That's totally okay. Give the man the minutes that he's deserved this year. I remain skeptical of him next year, but that doesn't mean that I don't think he can't be a contributor next year. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. The, the only, if I had to debate any part of this to push back against, you know, you know, maybe both of our points being similar. One thing that I did notice where you said maybe his efficiency can't possibly keep up. I'm looking at by year his E field goal percentage and his true shooting percentage. And both of those more or less have increased sort of steadily year by year. You know, 
so not that I, I'm sold on him suddenly, you know, his E field goal percentage is 56.7%. His true shooting percentage is 57.6. I'm, I'm not suddenly sold on like those being the numbers, but you know, when he first got into the league, his E field goal percentage was 44.2 and his true shooting was a 47.3. So they've slowly gone up, you know, it's a 48.3 and 50.7, 51.6, 53.2. So there might be something to that. I don't know how much stock I'm going to put into it, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I I totally agree there. There's plenty of room for improvement for him, especially with the pretty horrid year he had in Washington last year and then, you know, his unceremonious exit from Utah. It's the the fact that any player can't keep this up. And he could end up in the 80th percentile in mid-range jumpers, which is where he's been in the past, which is reasonable. I just worry that if all of a sudden these mid-range jumpers start to not fall as much and he doesn't adjust his game, that's my concern. And something we'll get to in a little bit, because it's a point that I want to hit on that applies to almost all of the New York Knicks guards. They love mid-range jumpers. Love, love, love them. And it's a huge problem. Whole team loves mid-range jump shots. Whole team loves them whole team so that's a whole nother discussion but let's move off of trey burke for a second although i do want to note kyle i think you're officially stamped with the blog boy persona because you just brought up effective field goal percentage this is true so uh kevin durant officially disavows anything that you say drag me <laughs> all right let's move on to frankie lakina who we'll just briefly touch on because we've elaborated on him ad nauseum on this podcast we have many thoughts on frank but Let's talk about him through the lens of next season, mostly, because we talked plenty about his performance in the past season. So next year, we assume that he'll be getting the workload that he's got at the end of the year, where he's playing, you know, 25, 30 minutes a game. He'll start some. So who's his ideal pairing? Do we like the Trey Burke, Moutier, or Moutier? Do we like the Trey Burke, Nilakina backcourt to start the year next year? Or would we prefer that the Knicks either end up drafting a guard to pair with Frank or get in another veteran here to bring Burke off the bench. How do you view that playing itself out next year in your ideal scenario? I don't know. I mean, that's a great question because it, it kind of depends who you ask because some people um, aren't really sold on Frank maybe as much and, you know, they're not sold on him being a point guard. So, yeah, maybe try to get a point guard, try to get a Trey Young, you know, a guy who showed to have really good vision, uh, vision, if nothing else, consistently at the college level. But then the way I'm thinking about it is you burned as a seventh overall pick on him in the first round last year. And you did so for – I mean, he, he is a point guard. That's the label, and maybe positions don't matter. I don't want to get too yep. hung up on that. But I think it's worth – really giving him the reins a little bit more and seeing what you have. I mean, he's 19. You're still molding him. I don't know. And maybe, maybe you can argue against this, but I don't know how effective it's going to be to kind of put him in position to be the ball handler, but then also put him in position to, to be the shooting guard. I mean, I, I for me, I'd rather just see them do what they drafted him to do a little bit before they started shuffling him around. And I feel like, 60 to 70 percent through this season they started to kind of change it up to be like well maybe he's a two so i don't know that i'm sold on changing up that quickly i'd rather just see it through a point guard just a little bit longer but i'm not sure if i want to 
you know, draft around that or just draft to sort of make Frankie adapt? I'm not sure which direction I'd want to go, to be honest. So a big issue for me when the Knicks will be drafting is how long it takes a point guard to become a solid NBA player. And I'm of the belief that the Knicks should take the best player available, whoever they think that is. I think there are Agreed. plenty of options. Agree. My favorite is well-known. It's Mikael Bridges, for those of you that don't know. But my worry is that the Knicks draft Neil Aquino last year. They bring back Trey Burke, who is still a young point guard. Let's not forget, he's still a young guy. And they draft another point guard. All of a sudden, you're relying on all of these young players to be the leaders of your team and handle the ball a lot. And we know the Knicks are going to be bad next year. I've already mentioned that. But what about the year after that, when Porzingis comes back, he's healthy, and you want to establish the best possible environment around him. It would make me worried if they were to draft a Colin Sexton, who will have a pretty steep learning curve in the NBA, and pair him with a guy like Frank, or pair him with a guy like Trey Burke or Moutier in the backcourt, because it's going to take them a while to figure it out. And all of a sudden, two years down the line, these guys aren't quite where you want them to be, and Porzingis is struggling to really get the type of chemistry he needs and the guard play that he needs. And there's other avenues where they can end up with guards. But the biggest concern that I have for Frank is that it's the coaching. It's it's the coaching and the positions that the coach can put him in because the frustration for the guards, as I mentioned with Burke, is that they have been encouraged to take mid-range jumpers and they've been encouraged to play the pick and roll in a certain way that I don't agree with and I don't think makes for the best guard. And it makes me nervous moving forward that they'll get into bad habits and all of a sudden you'll find them struggling to get to the rim and struggling to create more space for their shooters and more space for Porzingis and Hardaway. And it just it makes me nervous moving forward because these guys just love mid-range jumpers. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that that is definitely a concern for Frankie, especially when his offense is so impressionable right now. And I say that because a lot of people that seem to be sold on him not being a good offensive player, I feel like are looking at it through the, the wrong scope. Like, yes, his points per game are sort of abysmal. 5.7 is not what you want from a guard. Um, so that, I, that's fine. His percentages are low. I understand that. And there's things to be encouraged about, like his, you know, his three-point shooting isn't terrible. It's 31.4%, but he's 19. His shooting form looks good. That maybe could be changed. But the thing is, you got to be able to be aggressive enough to actually shoot the ball, too. To me, that's that's a, a main concern. So when you're trying to mold a guy and, and you're trying to avoid those bad habits, the thing that I'm thinking of right now is uh, something that you were debating, I think, on Twitter yesterday is about keeping Moutier around. Let's transition right into that because that's the guy I want to talk about. I think he is an important player to consider in this grand picture because he seems to be very divisive, which I understand. So keep going what you were going to say, but, you know, through the lens of Eminem and Moutier. Yeah, so this is sort of how it's tying the two together with Frank and uh, Moutier. And I don't know that, yes, for the purpose of tanking and the purpose of being bad and, you know, the purpose of you made the trade, you gave up a second rounder and Dougie, um, 
it makes sense to keep Moutier and see what you have. And I, and I agree. And, I, and I've been big on, like, just try him out, see what's there. But at the same time, you're talking about bad habits, and, and Moutier seems to have a lot of them. And do we want Frank, who is impressionable, to play behind a guy who's given the green light to do these bad habits? Do they maybe start tailoring the offense to Emmanuel Moutier for him to do some of these things that he thinks he's good at, and then Frank steps in and tries to do the same things? I mean, these are things that I go back and forth on, where I want to give a young point guard and Moutier a little bit more time to, you know what, new team, full season, full training camp, let's see what you got. And at the same time, it's just like, I don't know that that matters enough to risk Frankie being, you know, better than he could be or developing at a rate that he should be. So I, I'm very torn on that. So Moutier, this is the guy that I, I was debating with a lot of people on Twitter last night. I really appreciate the input. Some people come from the camp that the Knicks should just get rid of him. He's done nothing good this year. Just get rid of him. Buy him out. You don't need him next year on this team because he'll wipe his bad habits off on other people, which is something that you just alluded to. My mindset is that I'll keep repeating this because I think it bears repeating. The Knicks are going to be bad next year. Moutier has been a player that has been very bad in his NBA career. He's had plenty of good signs. For example, he's shooting 59% at the rim as a Nick, which is 10% over his career average, which is great. Great to see. He's been abysmal from three, but he also had his best catch-and-shoot half year before he came to New York in Denver. So that's a skill that we know he has. He just hasn't quite been able to unlock that in New York under a different offense. And much to your chagrin, I bet your boy Jokic helped out a little bit with something like that. Jesus Christ! No, I was gonna say, I was gonna say to answer your question, um, I want to, I want you to kind of sell me on your stance a little bit more because do you see Frankie being, you know, as an off-ball guard or as an on-ball guard a little bit? Because I'm torn as where he should go, and I feel like that impacts how I would feel about keeping Moutier around. We can talk about ball handlers. We can talk about who's the point guard, shooting guard. If he's an on-ball guard and off-ball guard, it doesn't really matter to me. Say what you want. I think that Frank is going to end up being a good catch-and-shoot guard, so I enjoy that part of his off-ball game. I also think that he can turn a lot of these mid-range jumpers into drives to the hoop. We saw him pull off a couple of really nice moves against the Hornets last week. And when he got the defender on his ass and he managed to get to the hoop by keeping him there. And that's something that I think is just a great skill to have as a point guard. And it's something that he can improve on. So to answer your question, him playing with Moutier, I don't think is a great combo because they're both going to struggle from three right now. They're not going to be great in terms of creating a shot profile that will best benefit the team. But I don't mind having them both on the team at the same time. It's not something that bothers me. I don't think that Moutier could do anything to make Frank worse. I don't buy that for a second. Moutier is still young. I do not ever think he's going to be good. I think we've seen too much of him to think that he's going to be good. But there are certain things that he does well and that are useful to an NBA team. And it's all about drawing the line where okay, we're giving up on this guy. Or, you know, we've seen some signs that he can still be something. And I'm not ready to draw that line yet. 
I would be willing to draw that line next year because that's a year when the Knicks will have some money in free agency. They will be able to have some cap space to play around with, potentially. I am looking at next year's end of the season as the deadline for whether Emmanuel Moutier is a good NBA player or not. And good for him, obviously, is a low bar to clear. So their combo is something that doesn't necessarily have to make or break for me because I don't think they would play together all that much because I don't think they have been at all compatible when they play together. I just, yeah, I mean, I just feel like they're not going to, they're not going to drop Moody this summer. I, I really, in my heart of hearts, it, it doesn't make any sense. Why would they buy a guy out that's 21 that they just traded a perfectly reasonable rotation piece for in a second round pick, which you and I both, I think, are completely fine with that trade, even if Moody ended up sucking. It's a trade you make. It just makes sense. And why would you just give up on a guy like that to go out? And I was I was having a debate with a few people on Twitter, and they were just saying, oh, there's plenty of players out there. And I said, give me a name. If you think there's a name that they can get for $4 million, because that's what Moutier is going to make next year, which is not much, and they can bring him in and give him all these Moutier minutes and just get rid of Moutier while paying him $4 million to not play for the Knicks, it, it, it's a wild accusation to me, and I just don't, I can't wrap my head around it. It doesn't make any sense. I was okay with the trade just because I felt like it was a very safe gamble. I felt like with the Carmelo trade, they were only just trying to get assets. They didn't matter what they were, the youngest assets that they can get, the best of, you know, all the bad deals. And he, they got, you know, uh, Doug McDermott, and then they got Ennis Cancer. And I felt like taking one of those assets and getting an even younger asset wasn't a terrible move. I felt like, okay, you know, McDermott's 25. He kind of is who he is. Maybe he's not in your future plans. That's okay. If you're comfortable moving him then, you're not going to re-sign him. You already know. Okay, there's no problem taking a flyer, you know, on that for a guy who's going to walk. So that I, perfectly fine. And, and, again, I'm perfectly fine with them keeping him around again. Y- you never know when guys are going to develop. You never know when guys might hit the switch. It is so, so doubtful that he does it. But you never know. So, yeah, I don't know that you're going to get another guy that young that's you could, you know, at least label for a little while longer anyway that's an asset. I, I, I don't know that you're going to get a guy like that, especially not for that price. Anybody who's actually useful is going to be $4 million, and we're going to be a bad team anyway. So the only rationale, you know, against Moutier being here is basically what people were debating with you. It's less like, hey, we really believe Frank, and, um, you know, we don't want, we don't want Moutier – taking his minutes or anything like that so that i understood but the other reasons uh, I, I don't i don't quite understand to be honest and i just don't understand the take his minutes part teams play two guards in the nba all the time now we've seen the knicks do it a ton why would you think that just because they bring moutier back all of a sudden that means that frank or trey burke are not going to play minutes next year that is also a part that was not computing when i was talking with people about it, it didn't make any sense yeah no that that's a good point too i shouldn't forget but Burke has played so well that, and it's been so late in the year that I keep forgetting. Like, yeah, he's going to be a big piece of this team next year, no matter what. Now, yeah, like, like his play has been has been too, too good at this stage. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I forget. I forget. I forget sometimes. I mean, yeah, he's going to play. Burke's going to play a lot next year. I, I'm just oh, he's thinking gonna about play that. A lot. I'm he's going he, to gonna play like 33, 34 minutes a game. I feel it in my bones. I the regression is coming. It's coming, and it's going to hit Knicks fans hard because they're not going to like it when it happens. And I'll gladly eat crow if I'm wrong here. They're going to have these 
super high expectations next year for Trey Burke. Delusions of grandeur about his ceiling. I don't buy it. I don't think it's realistic, and I don't think it's something we should expect next year. No. And, and back to Moody real quick before we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, he said before he's at 59% at the rim, and yes. his previous high was 49%. And that's like the only good thing that he's done so far. <laughs> And yes, there's just but what no, about his three-point shooting? He's in the third percentile. But, but I mean, come on. There's just no way that it's going to stay at 59%. <laughs> no, you're right. There's, you're just, right. It, there's positively no way. There's just no way it's going to stay near 60%. It's just not going to happen. There's yep. just there's just no – I don't know why I just thought of it. There's no chance. There's no – like that's the one good thing where it's like, oh, at least he's, he's money when he gets into the paint. Yep. And, and then I'm thinking, well, no. Well, no, it's going to go right back to being terrible. <laughs> So my counterpoint there would be that what if his rim efficiency starts to come down, but then his three-point percentage starts to normalize where he's a slightly below average three-point shooter instead of a horrid one. So these things all start to come back to the middle, and he'll just end up being a bad player. I mean, you take the trade-off if it's going to be improved three-point shooting, but even still, I just, for me, for anyone to be sold on Emmanuel Moutier, this is the leap that we would need to see. We would need to see sort of something that JB touched on. He needs to not be so soft going up to the rim. You know, when he's going in for a layup, just stop trying to draw contact and fault. Just go in strong and finish. I think he's done a good job of that since he's gone here. Uh, I don't know that it's 60% good. I don't think that's going to continue to be a thing, but I think he could realistically shoot pretty decently above 50 percent like 53 to 55 sure and then completely reasonable if he if he's sitting right around there around the rim and he could just get to like league average for shooting threes just league average or just a hair under like you said then that i mean i don't know that he'd be a bad basketball player i don't think he's going to improve defensively enough but then he'd just be like a a not good one and you could live with not good in in certain stretches you know if there's going to be offensive impact but yeah, I mean, the problem is there's just – there's no way that 60% is going to sustain. He's not an efficient player, and he's bad defensively. It's sad. It's really sad. The issue with Moutier at the end of the day when it comes down to everything here is whether or not you think the Knicks should have him next year and if you think he's going to have a negative impact on the team. I don't think that is a thing at all. I think that you can get bad habits, for especially for tanking teams. That can happen. I don't think one player is going to all of a sudden have an ancillary impact on Trey Burke and Neely Kane. I just, I don't see a world where that happens. So you bring back Moutier next year. He'll probably be bad again. You move on from him after the season and you reevaluate. For now, he's a cheap, young asset that still has shown very slim signs of being capable of of doing certain things in the NBA and being above average at them. I think we forget he has good size because, like you mentioned, he plays small, especially around the rim and on defense. He's always falling down at the rim. I'm like, dude, you're six foot three or six foot four. You're pretty stout. Just go up with it. You can do it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a couple – he had a couple really nice drives in the game against Miami, the game against Philly, where they yep. were like strong, aggressive takes that we really haven't <laughs> seen much of from uh, his Denver <laughs> But, um, I, I mean, I, that's what I think bothers us. Like, we, you see he's 23, you see that, and then it's like, well, you can do it. You, you absolutely can do it. You can do it a lot, and then you just don't do it nearly enough. And then that's why guys get frustrated, but also sold on that, you know, the allure of potential. So who does Melo like best out of all these guys? 
The, is Melo a big like Moutier hater? Is that why he keeps barking whenever Moutier is brought up? Yeah, yeah, it's just it's devastating. <laughs> he he watches games with me. He he watches these just miserable mid range <laughs> jump shooting attempts, and he's just not not on board whatsoever. I think whenever we get any sad pup days, it's because he just got his eyes on the Knicks and Emmanuel Moutier in the game. It's like you pan from the dog to the TV, and it's just Moutier falling right at the rim again. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. All right, let's hit on the young guys real quick. So Damian Dotson and Ron Baker, we've seen Dotson play sporadic minutes. He had a great game for the Westchester Knicks yesterday in their loss in the G League playoffs. Had uh, 20 points, you know, was knocking down threes from all over the place. Had a really nice step back move to the rim too, which was just really encouraging to see. And then Ron Baker, who of course hurt himself earlier this season as and has been out. So... Let's start with Baker, and then we'll talk about Dotson a little bit. So Baker was a big part of my debate on people with people on Twitter last night because people seem to think that they'd rather have Ron Baker on the team than Moutier, which I can't understand why anyone would want that. I don't get it. If someone could give me reasons, I'd love to hear them, especially when we know the Knicks. I'm just going to say it again. We know the Knicks are going to be bad, and we know that Moutier has clearly a higher ceiling than Ron Baker. And for you to say otherwise is just blasphemy to the nth degree. So don't come at me with that. Ron Baker's already peaked, in my opinion. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) He peaked at Wichita State. He peaked before he got to the NBA. He had his best moments of basketball when he was in college with Cleanthony Early and Fred VanVleet. We know this. Yeah, he's just, I don't know. He's just not very good. He he tries really, really hard. God bless him. That's it. God bless him. With Baker... People like to point out his defense, and like you mentioned, he tries hard on defense, sure, but that doesn't show up in the stats because he's been a bottom 15th percentile both years in his career defending the pick and roll as a ball handler, and a lot of that goes into who you're in the pick and roll with, but at the same time, the advanced stats and a lot of the numbers that are not even that advanced are not friendly to this guy, so are you just going to tell me that based on the eye test, which of course still matters, that he can be a good defender. I just don't see it. I don't see where you would play this guy for 20 minutes. And people seem to like him, and I get it. He's a funny guy. The Knicks like having him around. The front office liked him. He's a big Felt Jackson guy. But the Moutier thing compared to Baker, and to say that you'd rather have Baker when he's been a... 28% 28% three-point shooter in his career, and he's a 37% shooter from the floor. And even Moutier's been better than that. And what do we talk about with Moutier? His poor shooting. So what's the defense here? I don't understand it. No, at best, Ron Baker's a guy who... And this is almost demeaning to Lance Thomas. I don't <laughs> intend it as no, such. No, this but year, Lance he, Thomas kind of no, deserves that, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's under he's underperformed. But I mean, in the, in the sense that Lance Thomas is a guy who... His role, I think, got a little bit too large for his skill set, and at least here in New York. And Baker's a guy who, like, at best is going to be maybe a guy who comes in for a defensive situation. I mean, that, that's what I can see. Like, if you need two minutes of good defense and nothing else, and you need, you know, maybe then you could bring in a Ron Baker. Everything surrounding Baker is all about the things that we like about him. Like I mentioned, he's an entertaining guy. He's... Uh, he's got the goofy hair. There's plenty of things to like about him. And we certainly do like those things about him. 
but let's not let that get in the way of our actual basketball evaluation. You should always be keeping these young prospects on that you think have a certain amount of potential with them. Baker doesn't possess any of that potential. Moutier is bad. Ron Baker is bad. They are both bad basketball players at this stage in their careers. But who should the Knicks keep around that they could see having a fine career? It's Moutier. If you think Baker, I don't agree. I out of your fucking mind. Out of your fucking mind if you think Ron I'm Baker. I'm telling you, people love Ron Baker. I got a lot of someone. I was having a conversation with someone, and I I mentioned because he made a comment about Ron Baker, and I said, "Do we want Ron Baker?" And I got a lot of responses of people saying, "Yes, we do want Ron Baker," and I was a bit baffled, just a bit. But let's. Under no, un, no, under no circumstances. So let's talk about Dotson a little bit, and then I want to get into their salary and their uh, cap situation moving forward so we can kind of look at what we should expect next year. So Damian Dotson has been a source of frustration for me all year in terms of how Hornacek used him because at Agreed. Houston, he was one of the best three-point shooters in the nation. He was taking almost eight a game. And he was shooting 44%. He was taking 14 shots at eight threes a game for a Houston team that plays in a decent conference and was getting plenty of action. But he comes to New York, and all of a sudden he's in the upper quarter percentile in terms of mid-range jumpers. Why is this a thing? And he hasn't played that many minutes, which is important to, to consider here. But this is when I really say that it's clearly a motivation from the coaching staff to build their offense around these mid-range jumpers because you have a guy that was an elite three-point shooter in college. And all of a sudden he comes to the NBA and he's not taking nearly as many. So why is that? That should not be the case. You know what I was just thinking? You know how ass-backwards the past almost decade have gone uh, has gone for the Knicks? They hired Dan Tony. D'Antoni comes in. Chris Duhon is his point guard. They have a system based, you know, it's D'Antoni's system. It's up tempo. They want to get a lot of threes mm-hmm. up. They want to get a lot of shots up. He wants, you know, they, they bring Carmelo in to do that. You, you get a star for D'Antoni. You know, Melo doesn't want to do it. D'Antoni gets canned. But even with Woodson, they were a good three point shooting team with JR and with Novak. I mean, they lived on those three, yep. right? And now, and now as the NBA has progressed more towards threes, the Knicks have gone backwards. And at first, the triangle thing was, you know, sort of like, a, I want to say a rumor, but it was like, well, is, is Derek Fisher really going to implement, you know, the triangle? And then he was sort of saying the same thing as, as like Hornacek. Well, like, you know, elements of it. It can be used. And and for all the shit that we gave Derek Fisher, I think he was a far better coach than, um, uh, at least in my opinion, I, I would say um, – He's been better than Hornacek a little bit. I think he had a really shitty roster that he got to overachieve a little bit, but I, I don't know. But anyway, the point is, like, the team as a whole has seemingly just gone backwards with that three-point shooting culture when they had, like, all the personnel to do it years prior, and it seemed like they were on board with that moving forward, and then they've just gone totally backwards despite always having some three-point shooters. So I'm, I'm just baffled as to why, like, and I honestly, I thought this year Hornacek was going to do that. I was like, if nothing else, he's good with point guards and threes. 
And that'll change the season without Phil Jackson in, in uh, the picture. And it did not. That is hysterical. That Because I haven't really thought about it like that, how the Knicks were almost ahead of the curve. It's like they were ahead of the race, and they had this, you know, kind of revolutionary way of doing things. Not like it was anything out of the ordinary, but they were ahead of the race. And then they kind of just said, hey, everyone could pass us. Go ahead. Just keep going. We're good. We'll get to the back. And now they went from a team with Mello and, and Woodson and J.R. Smith and Novak and all these guys that were shooting a ton of threes to a team that, well, they still do shoot threes. They almost reject the notion that it should be the focal point of your offense. And almost every other NBA team that's successful has pushed quite hard against this theory. And we kind of know that we should be shooting, you know, a decent amount of threes to be able to win games unless you have some sort of special roster. It's something that the Grizzlies prior to this season have been able to buck a trend. But the Knicks have three-point shooters on this team. And I find it supremely frustrating. I talked about it last week with Michael when we talked about Jeff Hornacek's tenure. Think about the shooters they had into the season. You have Tim Hardaway Jr., who, while he's not that efficient, he is someone that could pretty easily shoot a ton of threes, and that's what he's done this year. Porzingis has proven to be a good three-point shooter. Courtney Lee, even though he never takes enough, is a good three-point shooter. Lance Thomas has proven to be, especially from the corner, a reliable shooter from three. Their point guards, it's... I really, really, really hope if they move on from Hornacek, they bring in a guy next year that really focuses on these guys getting their opportunities from three. So then we might see Trey Burke start to change his shot profile a bit. Frank starts to change his shot profile a bit. Get Dotson more work. Get him open looks from three. It's so rare that they run plays for guys in catch-and-shoot scenarios off of screen and rolls, these kind of things that are easy, easy, easy three-point opportunities. It's just, oh, it drives me crazy watching the games. I'm just like, listen, we know it works. Just do it. Just do yeah. it. No, but, but to your point, too, with Dotson, I I really don't understand why he didn't get enough. I mean, the wing as a whole was a position of need. Absolutely. This season, we didn't have enough depth, and it was like, I, I felt like there should have been ample opportunity to try him out. I mean, even if it was just 10 minutes a game like just a regular couple of minutes a quarter just get him out there and i I don't know i I don't understand why i don't get it i don't get it i I feel like the talent's there for him to be a useful role player in the league i think that's a reasonable ceiling for him like just maybe at best a 20 to 23 minute a game guy who's just going to come in get his five or six threes up a game and then you know, retire to the bench. And th- that's a fine ceiling for any NBA player. But we're not even – he's not even really getting the opportunities because when he does get it, the offense is predicated on getting those mid-range shots. So Correct. not only you're not giving the young player the opportunities that he needs, when you do get him in there, you're not utilizing his skills the way they need to be utilized. And that's sort of been my gripe with Hornacek is, like, I don't get what he's been trying to do with any of the young guys this year. Like, it seems like Trey Burke seems to be the only guy who's doing well in, his, you know, whatever system it is that Hornacek's operating out of. And we don't even know if that's because it's the operating system or if Trey Burke is some sort of, you know, born-again player or if he's just what we both agree on. He's just really outperforming um, sort of his norm. Yep. So I, I don't I don't know. I just don't – I'm very upset about the Dotson thing. I, I am. I, I really wanted to get a good look at him this year, and I feel like I have – like no real feel 
for what to expect from him going forward. I'd agree. And, and it's not his fault. And it's not his fault. Oh, 100%. 100% not his fault. He hasn't played great, but he also hasn't been afforded much of an opportunity, as you mentioned. So no, what should we expect? He's a guy no. next year they should be giving plenty of minutes to. Not, not, I'm not saying he needs to start. You know, Play him 15 minutes a game. See and, what he can do. A second-round pick should be a guy that you should always give the opportunity to because we've seen it work out for the Knicks plenty of times when they've given second-round picks opportunities and they've panned out. Recently, Billy Hernan Gomez, who they ended up trading, of course, Landry Fields, Trevor Ariza come to mind, just 21st century guys. It can happen, but you have to also give them a chance. And if they end up being bad, they end up being bad. It's a second-round pick. It's not the end of the world. And I guess the last thing I'd add before we move on— uh-huh. It's more of a crime to me that he hasn't gotten the playing time that he needs because if you're a guy like it, it to me anyway it's easier to plug and play if you're a big. Like if you're Billy, you can come in and you know, well I'm just going to bang a little bit in the post. You know, I'm just going to get a couple of rebounds, get some second chance points, clean up any misses, you know, or you get an easy drop off pass, you just got to take a couple steps to the basket. Like it's easier to plug and play when you're a big, whereas when you're a guard, you have to really get into a, a rhythm and, and a flow of the offense. You have to know where you're running. Like, like for me, when I play, like I got to know, you know, am I cutting baseline? Am I with personnel who needs me to, to flare up? Or if I need to cut back door, where am I supposed to be going? You know, and then even when I am in and doing those things, if I'm not getting the shot opportunities I need, I'm never really comfortable. And it's like for a guard, that stuff does matter. So I don't know how much of him not playing well has to do with that. With Billy, it was a little bit easier. It was like, Billy, you're playing 15, 20 minutes a game and you're not getting any rebounds. Why is that when you're seven feet tall? You know, it's easier to, like, place the blame a little bit. But when you're a guard, you really need to to feel out the offense, feel out your, your teammates a little bit more. And I, I don't know. I, I feel bad for Dotson. I do. Yeah. I just I hope you know a storm is coming, Kyle, this summer. Because when we play pickup, you don't, you won't, it won't matter where you're going. Oh, Jesus Christ. It won't matter where you're going. You're not I'm scoring. Gonna ha- I'm going to hang so many buckets in your goddamn head, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so many goddamn buckets. I can't wait. And I'm going to talk trash to you the entire time. I can't wait. I don't care how much you score. If you're 7 for 8, I'm going to tell you. You're missing the next <laughs> one. I promise you that. <laughs> All right, let's hit on the, the vets a little bit before we get a macro picture on the Knicks. So between Jared Jack, who we can assume will be gone next year, even though I do think that the Knicks have really appreciated his veteran leadership at the end of the year after they've benched him. So, you know, maybe he's a guy they would bring back, but I don't, I wouldn't think so. Cause I don't think he'd want to come somewhere where he knew he wasn't going to play. They might, they might safety net him and just have him like tentatively on the roster. Yeah. Bring in another couple, you know, a couple of young guys and just be like, look, we're giving you the chance. You, you know, you, you did well. You mentored the guys a little bit. It was a nice veteran present. We're giving you the chance to stick around. Let's just mm-hmm. see how training camp goes. But you know, no no guarantees. Right. I feel like that'd be a way to do him justice a little bit, but continue. So the two guys that in all likelihood will be on, you know, one hundred percent, the other, you know, maybe ninety, is Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway. So Lee still has is under contract for two more years. And while I think the Knicks should move him, I would see it more being a deadline move or after next year when he's an expiring contract rather than this summer. But it will be something to follow because he can't be happy with how his role's been decreased and he's playing for a bad team and they're not going to be good again next year. And he knows that he could be a contributing member on a very good team based on the way that he plays basketball and the skills that he possesses that are above average. So Courtney Lee, 
just in general, what's your ideal sort of... How does this play out in the best way for you? Do the Knicks move him this season before... I should say in the offseason before the next season begins? Do they play out next year with him on the roster? How do you see his Knicks future falling apart here? Uh, honestly, I, he's been a guy that never sticks around. Where, yeah. I mean, and it's not even... I don't even think it's his fault. He's always just good enough to be able to get a good haul, but just not good enough to be able to to really stick around and, and be like a main cog. Like he's always like a really nice complimentary piece. A team trades for him, they try him out. Maybe he's the missing piece. He's pretty good for them, not good enough, and then they move him again or he signs elsewhere. Like. I feel like he was that for the Hornets. I feel like he was that for the Celtics for a while. I feel like yep. he was that with the Grizzlies. And Magic. you know, even with the Knicks, like they didn't they didn't win shit with him here. But <laughs> what? But like you, you yeah, well, crazy. <laughs> I know, but, right? But, I'm shocked. But, but you could always notice like man, like he's he was a really nice like second and third option to have, you know, next to KP, next to Melo. So, I guess to answer your question, I feel like I feel like he's gonna he's gonna go. I feel like he's not the guy that ends up staying too long. He he's not really gonna move the needle in one direction or another. And I just feel like the longer you hang on to him, I feel like you can get a better haul now for a really generous contract that he's on with two more years left of him. Pl- and he's coming off a, a really good year. I that gets lost in yeah. The when Nick he was beat. playing consistently, his play was consistent and or that, wow that was really redundant and incredible because he was a great presence next to Porzingis and he was just night in night out doing exactly what the Knicks needed yeah so I, I just feel like he's more like for example I mean him and Noah signed at the same time the rationale with keeping Noah is like he's already not playing he's already not doing anything even if he did he's terrible He's going to help the Knicks lose and you could also use him as an expiring in two years to actually try to make a trade and I just feel like keeping that same mindset with Courtney Lee isn't really serviceable. I feel like he's he's still useful now. He's a 14-point-per-game, nearly 40% from three uh, guy. He's going to play good perimeter defense. I feel like teams need that guy. They've needed that guy since last year when the Knicks were imploding, and, and I'm just shocked that he wasn't moved yet. So my answer is this summer. I, I think they're going to move him this summer and just, you know, full reset. Like, you know, we, we got three young guards we're going to try out. You know, they're going to have – I mean, there's some nice wings in this draft that I'm sure you can speak at length about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I just don't see them. I don't see how he makes it through the summer. I really don't. And teams always need guys like this. That's why he's been traded five times in his 10-year career. Somebody's going to want him again. Yeah. My worry is his contract isn't quite as friendly as I think you make it seem. I don't think it's as palatable in 2018 as it was in 2016. I do think it's reasonable. His contract is completely reasonable, but I do think it will not be a piece of cake to find a team that makes a lot of sense and that they can kind of match up contracts because I think that if Lee still has two years, I think the best case scenario for the Knicks is maybe getting a guy that's on a similar contract and maybe has like one more year because I don't know. I'd have to open the trade machine for this one because there's a lot of options, but I think this is one of those scenarios for the Knicks where it's so easy to be a good franchise and it's something that they've continuously failed at. Here's what you do. You bring Courtney Lee in during the offseason. He sits down with Scott Perry and Steve Mills. They say, listen, we're going to be bad next year. It's just the way it is. 
Porzingis might be back. He might not. We're going to take it easy with him because he's our franchise player. If you want us to look for a trade, if you're not okay with that, we can do that for you. If you want to stick around and potentially be on the team when the payoff is better after he's back and is established, we can do that too. It seems like such a simple, personable thing that they can just have a discussion about because Courtney Lee has to be frustrated and it's completely understandable. You would be frustrated too if you were having a great season playing for a pretty good team, pretty decent enough that had a shot at the playoffs and all of a sudden the best player gets injured and you're not playing anymore because they're playing a guy that they traded for that stinks and a guy that has been in the G League all year and all of a sudden he's getting all your minutes. So it just seems like an easy situation for the Knicks to kind of meander here and make the best of, but these are the type of things that I'll look to to see if they're the type of franchise that is run well and that we should have higher hopes for. Yeah, I'm sort of on the same wavelength because from what I've seen from Perry since he's taken over, I mean, everything with me this season is encouraged in these little flashes that I see from, you know, some of the players and even Perry. Like, the Moutier deal wasn't even a good deal, wasn't even a good trade, and I was encouraged. So I was like, that seems like a, a kind of savvy move that – a good front office would do. Which I think that most people in NBA circles agreed on, which isn't usually the case with the Knicks. It's usually LOL Knicks. Yeah. So, us, but that ex- wasn't ex- the case here. Exactly. So I was really encouraged. I was like, I, I think Moutier stinks. I don't think this is going to matter. But like, that's the kind of savvy deal you make. Like, hey, we're not going to use McDermott. We're going to trade for Moutier. He's younger. He's a position to need. Let's see what happens. So as a whole, I kind of like what I've seen from Perry. I'm not sold, of course. I'm not sold. You can never be sold on the front office in New York. But so far, so good. But this summer, yeah, like like you're saying, it, it seems like an easy decision to make. It seems like an easy thing to try to do. And it, it's going to be very, very telling. Yeah, it's going to be important. I think it's an important step for this team because we've seen that veterans don't really want to come to play for the Knicks anymore because they have a reputation of being mishandled and just the miscommunications amongst people, the the utter just lack of continuity between people in the New York front office has plagued the organization for years. And our great new addition, Jonathan Macri, wrote a piece a couple weeks ago talking about why we should have faith in the front office. And this summer's a big one. So with that in mind... Let's take a look at their cap sheet, just the guards, because we have plenty of time to talk about the rest of the roster from Ennis Cantor's decision to Joe Kim Noah. So I just want to look at the guards. So they have Courtney Lee, as we mentioned, making $13 million guaranteed next year. They have Ron Baker on a $4.5 million player option. Please pause the podcast, take about 15 seconds to just laugh and enjoy that, and uh, then play it again. Okay, welcome back. And we have Frankie Lakina making $4 million in 2018-19 on his rookie deal. We have Emmanuel Moutier guaranteed $4 million. As I mentioned, Jack's a free agent, Damian Dotson on his rookie deal, and then they have Trey Burke on that nice, another encouraging move by Mills & Co. to get him under a contract where they can sign him for next year at under $2 million and then have his bird rights after, which allows them to go over the cap to re-sign him should they choose to do so. So when it comes down to it, 
Jarrett Jack's really the only one that is officially not on the books anymore. So they're kind of locked in. Are you okay with this? Is there anyone you'd like them to move on from? We had mentioned Lee and Moutier's options that people have talked about, but is that realistic for us to expect that this guard rotation will look any different than it looks on paper going into next season? um, Is Kylo Quinn's deal done this year or next year? He also has a player option. So the Knicks could decide to bring him back. He could opt in. The $4 million he's making is not a bad amount in this market. So I put it at like, you know, 70-30 that he opts out. But that's just me speculating off the top. Okay. I, I mean, guys that guys that I would hope not to see back around for whatever reason, like Ron Baker. I, I just can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Like, I can't. I can't. It's been two years of this. This cutesy Ron Baker story, I cannot, I, I just simply cannot. I simply cannot. His Instagram stories are also, like, super cringe. They are just, I, I follow him so that if he posts anything funny, I can end up posting it. And I've posted things from Moutier and Hardaway Jr. All of his, um, I just it's just an eye roll, man. I'm just like, dude, are you kidding me? He's always, like, posting pictures of him on the treadmill or the elliptical, like, on the grind. And he's got all the filters on. Oh, just give me a break. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to pull up the salaries now so I can get a better idea. But okay, now I got them up. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jared Jack getting off the books is is perfectly fine. I don't want Michael Beasley back. I, I'm sorry, like it was. It's been a fun year. We've needed his comic relief, but I'm all set on Michael Beasley. I I hope that he's done enough here to go earn a nice contract somewhere else and have a home for a couple of seasons. But it's not here. Uh, Trey Burke, we own the rights to. I absolutely want Trey Burke back. I, I want to see. Uh, I want him to see this thing through. Yep. Um, so that'd be great. Oh, you know, you know what? Troy Williams. I would absolutely love to see Troy Williams. He'll back. be back. He'll be back because he's on a partially guaranteed deal next year, and unfortunately, he got hurt, broke his jaw. But he'll be back. There's no reason for the Knicks not to bring him back, and he also posted an Instagram with a bunch of pictures from him, and, you know, he said, hashtag until next year. So I think they've communicated to him that they'd like him back. And at the very least, he'll be in training camp and get a look. But I would be shocked if he's not back next year. Yeah, and, and I didn't realize we have three guys. On, I, I mean, I knew Cantor had a player option. I knew Baker had the player option. And I knew O'Quinn had the player option. But when when you see that there's three of them on player options, I, I can't help but feel like they will all be back, much to my dismay. Baker and Cantor, 100% will be back. There's no way yes. Cantor opts out. He's not making $18 million anywhere else. There's no way Ron Baker opts out. He's not making $4 million anywhere else, which says a lot. And O'Quinn is the only one that I think is a bit iffy. It could go either way. I could see him opting out. I could see him opting in. I mentioned this again when I was talking with some people on Twitter last night from the Knicks Wall main account. I almost want him to go somewhere else from just a basketball purist perspective because how much fun would he be to watch on a good team as their backup center, playing the elbows, finding the guys on the back cuts? I just think he would be such a fun piece to have on a better team that's not the Knicks, even though I do really, really want him back next year. I mean, yeah, there's no way Ennis Cantor wraps out. I'm no sorry. I, there's just not no, positively don't, no way. Don't let, if your brain is thinking this, anyone out there that has their, their brain saying, oh, he could, no, don't do it to yourself. It's not happening. Just don't let it happen. Don't let that thought creep in. He's going to be the only enjoyable basketball player. I mean, right? I mean, he's going to be the only guy who's consistently doing any kind of numbers. I mean, 
you know he's not going to help you win games. That hasn't been the case this year without KP. But, I mean, it'd be nice to, like, once in a while watch a big game from a, I don't know, a real NBA player. Yeah, I mean, I'm a noted Tim Hardaway Jr. fan, so I still think that he's going to have an even better year next year. And I think he'll average 20 points and he'll up that three-point percentage with Porzingis down. I didn't really mention him with this discussion because I think we know what to expect from him. And he'll be back next year no matter what. He'll be getting plenty of burn. So he's a guy that's locked in at 17 million next year. So they'll have those guys. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I mean, outside of Noah, I, I don't mind a lot of what's going on here. If they can get – that obviously, I think that goes without saying. But, damn, I didn't realize Lance Thomas was – I thought he was done after next year. I didn't realize there was a... Lance Thomas has next year, and then in 2019-20, it's a partial guarantee. So the Knicks could move on from him in 2019-20 without incurring some sort of cap hit. Because I don't know exactly what amount is non-guaranteed, but it's it might be the whole thing. I'd have to look at the, the contract sheet again. But he's not a guy to worry about after next season. Because the Knicks will presumably move on from him. I also wanted to mention, by the way, that Anyone that believes in my Trey Burke regression theory can just tell me to shut up because my poster boy for regression was D.D. Gregorius, and he has two home runs today. And I just watched that, him hit a bomb last, in the second deck. That last <laughs> home run was a mammoth A bomb. I also, I really appreciate any guy that just automatically goes to the bat flip, and D.D. right out the swing, just bat flip right there. I just love it. I, I don't know if there's a better image in sports than when a guy hits a home run and it's a no-doubter and he's looking up at it and he like either throws his bat or flips his bat and then as he's doing that the 30 to 40 stands that are in the picture behind home plate immediately stand up oh, and it's start the best. It, it's it's poetry all at once to see something like that happen i'll one-up you what the better than that is when you see that and you also see the catcher get pissed because he knew the pitcher threw a really shitty pitch. Like, that happened right here. Sucre turned around and slammed his glove because he knew the pitcher just threw just an awful pitch to Didi. Oh, it's the best. All right, let's bring all this back together. So I think looking at the guard rotation next season, it's safe to say that Neil Aquina, Baker, Moutier, Dotson, Burke, will be on the team next year. Say what you want about Moody. I, the Knicks aren't getting rid of him. I'd be shocked if they were going to do something like that. I don't see it happening, so I'm assuming he is a lock for next year. Courtney Lee is a guy they could trade. I think that they will wait until either the, be- the beginning of the season after the next one or midseason. But like we mentioned, they should have that discussion with him. Tim Hardaway Jr. is locked in. Jared Jack's a guy they could bring back. So it feels like they're stuck with this backcourt rotation, which is disheartening in that they all suck, but they're also super young. So it it's kind of the, the double-edged sword here, and I think it's why, much to our dismay to a certain degree, it's the perfect type of backcourt to bring into a season when you know you're going to lose and you are tanking. Because you're going to give plenty of minutes to Burke and Nilakina to let them figure out some kinks in their game. Even if Burke regresses, he'll still be able to do some of the things he's done well this year, next year. He still has plenty of potential. We'll let Frank figure out 
what he needs to do in his game to make it better. Moutier will get his minutes as well, and you're going to see them struggle plenty, and it's going to be painful at times. But the Knicks are going to be so bad that it won't matter because they're going to be bringing back this same team next year. Essentially the same team. The Knicks are not going to be going after any big free agents. They're not going to be trying to swing any big trades that we know of because I don't think it would make any sense at this stage in their development and in Porzingis' injury rehabilitation. The changes that we're going to get are in draft picks. And this draft could shape this rotation quite a bit. So very briefly, before we get out of here, a couple guys that are in the Knicks range in the first round that could have an enormous impact on this rotation and could determine if a guy like Moutier does stick around is the Trey Young and Colin Sexton dynamic, who are two guys that will be there around the nine spot. They will in all likelihood, go between 7 and 13. And the Knicks are looking like they'll have the ninth pick, although if they manage to lose to the Orlando Magic, which is really, really difficult to do, they'll have a shot at moving up a spot. So these two guys are wildly different players. Trey Young is a shooter, scorer, that struggles on defense. He doesn't have great size that could pretty easily play off the ball with a Nilakina or a Burke or a Moutier. And I think it's a skill that we can really unlock in the NBA because he never did it in college as a catch-and-shoot guy. So the other side of that coin is Colin Sexton, who is a more of a ball-dominant scoring point guard that's a better defender. He doesn't possess nearly the same passing vision or shooting skills that Trey Young does. So if they were to bring in either of these guys, it could really change how they view this young point guard rotation. Because to me, it's really, really hard to bring Sexton, Nilakina, Burke, and Moutier all back next year, in addition to Baker, and say, okay, we're just going to run all these guys out here. I just don't know if it makes a ton of sense. We obviously have no idea now. We have no idea now. But... If they do draft one of these guys, I would just be wildly interested to see how they handle the backcourt rotation and the roster in general. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I can't. That's why when people talk about the Knicks taking Trey Young, like, okay, that might be good in theory, but that for sure, that for certain means that you don't have faith in at least one of those point guards or guards that you have in the roster. So. I don't know that they're going to – because now if you look at the optics of it, yeah, they bring one in. Suddenly you have five guards. That's half your roster. It's like, mm-hmm. what are you – what are we doing here? You know, one of them would have to go. They just – one of them would. I don't know which one, but one of them is going to have to go. If you want them to play the minutes, they're going to need to develop. Right, right. Yep. You, you can't just you can't just have four, you know, 22, 23 and under guards and play all of them 20 minutes a game. Like, yep. it's not going to work that way. That being said – we mentioned before the Knicks should take the best available player, whoever they think is the best player is who they should take. So who's on the roster right now shouldn't necessarily impact whether they take Trey Young or Colin Sexton. If they have Sexton at number five on their big board and it gets to nine and he's still there, take him. I don't have him at number five on my big board. I don't really want him to come to the Knicks. He might be my least favorite of all of the potential first round targets, 
But if the Knicks really think that he's a guy that could be really good, then you take him. And you worry about that roster later because they're so young. They have all of these guys that have varying degrees of skills right now and skills that we can extrapolate towards the future. So who's on the roster now should not impact their draft pick for a second. But it will have an impact on the roster if you catch my drift there. Do you understand the difference that I'm getting yep. at? Yeah, yep, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. It, no, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's going to be – it feels like every summer is interesting with the direction of the Knicks lately. But, I mean, this one more so. When you start to lay, I guess, the foundation, you know, you have KP. You have Timmy locked in for a while. You have Frank that, you know, people are, people are either really uh, ready to bleed for Frank or they think he's a bust, it seems. So it, it seems like you actually have some semblance of, of a young – foundation uh of a core and it, it would be quite the shakeup if they drafted if they draft trey young I, the takes are gonna fly <laughs> it would fly. be lie two months of just turmoil and oh my god the discussion around it it would just be such a mixed thing to do and i'm warming up to it i'm still not convinced and he's still not my number one guy that i want but i am warming up to the idea of him on the roster but Nevertheless, it would be just a whirlwind of takes from every corner, every crevice of New York and beyond. Yeah, I'm not ready. <laughs> I think that's what multiple people have said. I think JB said it. I think Jonathan said it. Some others said it. We're just not ready for the Trey Young thing to hit New York because it would just be relentless. Dude, I thought about it for three minutes and I just got exhausted. <laughs> just getting overwhelmed. Last thing and then we'll hit the road. The Knicks also do have a second round pick that is going to be in the top 10 of the second round. And there are going to be some targets there that they could look that are also backcourt players. A guy that's jumped up draft boards a little bit with his performance, and, you know, he's a national player of the year, is Jalen Brunson, who has been in that mid-second round range. I really like a guy, Tony Carr from Penn State, who's a guard with good size, did everything this year for Penn State, who was had one of their better years in program history, which says a lot about their program because they only went to the NIT. Uh, there's going to be guys in the second round too. So all of a sudden, if they draft a guard in the second round, who we mentioned with Dotson, we can never expect that much from, but it just throws another monkey wrench into all of this. So the Knicks have some decisions to make. They should draft whoever they think is the best player. And then after the draft, take a step back, look at the roster, say, who do we believe in? And who do we want to be on this team this year? So we can get the biggest possible look at him and who can we maybe either move or decide that we're going to marginalize his minutes a little bit that's the decision that they're going to have to make come june when the draft rolls around it's going to be something to follow so kyle parting thoughts anything coming up exciting um not particularly. Um, <laughs> I wanted to give a nice, like, exciting business update. Ooh, yeah, we no, got... <laughs> no, no, I mean, we have a ton of great merch. Barely did a great job this year. He did a great job this year kind of getting that store where it needed to be, and, and we have a ton of designs in there. So, really, I, I implore you guys, if you haven't yet, I know we have a lot of new followers this year, a lot of new listeners this year, just go take a look at the store. Even if you don't want to buy anything, get an idea of what's the common you know, this summer, next season, we have a lot of great stuff that we're trying to provide for you guys. If you have any ideas, feel free to tell us, but, um, 
really take a look. I mean, the biggest thing I could press to you guys now is maybe go buy that Knicks tank shirt. Um, since that's, I mean, we got the draft lottery coming up in May. I think it's May 15th. So May 15th. Yeah. So try to get on board with that. Um, outside of that, uh, not a whole lot else. I mean, we just have a lot of great content coming and I'm sure you could talk about that with the draft coming up, but you know, that that's mostly what I'm looking forward to right now is, uh, we shifted towards prospects this last, you know, basically since KP went down. So I think everyone here has done a great job. I think uh, a lot of our listeners, a lot of our readers have really been enjoying it. And I'm really just, just like they are, I'm looking forward to all of that coverage as we kind of head towards the lottery into the draft. Yeah, with the end of the college season last night with the national championship, I I reached out to everyone that had engaged with me because I had done a lot of work on the main account from my own account about some prospect coverage. And I just really enjoy getting people's opinions on these prospects. It's the most fun part because none of us really know. That's why the discussions are so much fun, and that's why having the takes are so much fun. So thanks again to everyone that's been talking with me and everyone else about prospects. Now is when it heats up. That was almost the the regular season, and now is the playoffs. This is when we really get to dive deep. We get to basically just rip these prospects apart and then build them right back up and determine what we like about them, what we don't like how we should view them for the Knicks moving forward. It's super exciting when the Knicks are going to be bad. And the draft lottery is always a fun time because you let your hopes get up for a second and then you realize, oh yeah, the Knicks have a 6% chance of moving up in the draft. So why am I thinking this? Yeah, just well, just like just like last year when we were sitting uh, comfy in, what were we in? Uh, were we in 6th last year when we dropped? Or were they we were in 7th and then they moved back to 8th. Yeah, that, that's what I, okay, yeah. yeah. We were in 7th and we moved back to 8th. And I was like, well, you know, maybe we can move up, but probably not going to move down. And then we moved, <laughs> then we moved down to 8th and I was like, well, great. You never think about the move down until it happens because you never want to believe that it's actually something that is a reality that exists on the plane of reality. And then it happens and you're like, okay. So I just watched the Knicks lose 16 of 17 games to close the year and then they moved back a spot. Nice. That was but, so deflating. We, oh, we did that. Was terrible. Oh, God. So besides that, though, we'll have plenty of prospect coverage coming up. Where we'll debut our TKWU series in which I'll take a look at all of the prospects, do deep dives, talk about their game. I have some high hopes for that, so keep an eye out for that. We have some great prospect coverage coming from all of our writers in addition to that. I know we really enjoyed the pieces that we had last year and the engagement we got, so we're expecting to even hype that up a little bit more this year so keep an eye out the season's not quite over we got a few games left so follow along with us live over at the Knicks wall so with that in mind Kyle thanks for chatting and we will talk to you soon yep take it easy buddy good to be on